it's a big leap from knowing that something exists to understanding that you can, that it's possible for you, that you can have it. It was a huge leap for me from, oh, I know trans people to, oh, I could, I could transition. Hey there, and welcome to Reaching Out with Michael Constable. I'm your host, Michael, and Reaching Out is a podcast on a mission to make coming out easier through story sharing. Well, we finally made it through Pride Month. This is our last Pride Month episode, and just like the previous couple episodes we've had, I could not be more excited about our guest today. Now, before we dive into our amazing guest, uh, just a few personal Pride Month updates. This past weekend, I got to celebrate my first international pride in Lisbon. It was this past Saturday, and essentially everyone just gathered in this big plaza down by the river in the main one of the main parts of Lisbon. And there was a stage, and they had performers all day, and I think it went from like 4 p.m. to 3 a.m. or something like that. And uh, it was great. The weather was some of the best we've had since I've been here the past two weeks. And I got to go there with a mix of queer friends and straight friends from my remote year travel days. And it was really, really fun to celebrate with them because when we were friends back on remote year, I was still in the closet. So it was kind of cool to have an experience with them that was me you know, celebrating my authentic self. And so that was a really cool experience. I also got to meet other uh, gay travelers who were just visiting and passing through and kind of, you know, randomly just became like a little group of people who just ended up hanging out during the event. And then I also didn't do a lot of research, so I didn't really know what the like after party situation was. And so essentially the the end of the night, it kind of just was like us wandering from gay bar to gay bar, trying to get in anywhere we could. But the options were so limited because every place had lines wrapped around the block. So um ended up being a late night, but the last couple hours of it were just from walking around aimlessly place to place. So a little bit of a noob move there. And with that, my time in Lisbon is coming to a close. I actually am moving over to Spain tomorrow and starting in Madrid. And I'm going to be there for Madrid Pride, which is, I believe, next weekend. And I've heard so many good things, so I cannot wait for that. I'm excited that you know Pride isn't over yet, I guess, even though Pride Month is. Now, I will admit, I definitely was struggling from some Pride FOMO as well, because I kept seeing all of my friends from San Francisco Pride, which is also this weekend, and Mexico City Pride, uh, that was also this weekend. And I, first off, seeing the, all the photos and the stories from all my friends in SF, just like, oh man, it, it like, <laughs> I was just masochistically like going through Instagram and Twitter and seeing all these photos and stories. And it was like, it hurt, but it also was one of those things that I like needed to see. And I like, I wanted to be there. And they're at like the Phoenix Hotel, which is this big event. And they're at Dolores Park, which I used to live next to. And it all looked really, really fun. And it's like these friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And, um, definitely was having a little travel FOMO, you know, homesickness moment while, while scrolling through Instagram this week. But, um, and then Mexico city, oh my God, I, I posted some of the videos that I saw in my stories. It just looked absolutely incredible. And I really am kind of bummed I wasn't there for it, but also making the mental note to definitely make it to Mexico city pride sometime. I do think overall this Pride FOMO that I am talking about, specifically the San Francisco one, is like 
opening my eyes a little bit to the, I guess the likelihood of me doing like long-term travel again, because it really is making me realize how much I miss and need to have a solid queer community in my life. I just got so used to having it in San Francisco every day, just like constantly being surrounded by it and, you know, making some good friends and having, you know, very strong relationships and to not have that anymore while traveling, you know, and I, ha- I definitely have made some queer friends and I, you know, I have queer friends in Lisbon with me. Um, but it's a little bit different, especially because I know that I'm just passing through and, you know, I have to kind of like start again the next place I go. It is really fun to like meet people while traveling, especially now like meeting fellow, you know, queer people. It's like really cool. Cause I'd never had this experience when I, when I used to travel before, but, um, you know, it's, it does make me think of like how long I want to be doing this. Um, cause right now I'm kind of traveling a little bit open-ended. Um, I know at some point, you know, in the next couple of months I'm going to have to make some decisions, but it's kind of opened my eyes to wondering how long this is something that I would want to do. It's really fun to travel again. Like it's great. Like not going to lie, you know, being in Europe again after four years is obviously really amazing, but from like a, a longer term perspective, I mean, you know, it just feels like something that I don't want to, well, that I probably would not want to sustain longer term just because of that lack of community that I, you know, really grew to love and appreciate. Now, as for this week's guest, I cannot even believe that I was able to convince the supremely clever and funny Rose Damu to join me on Reaching Out and share her story. Rose is an incredibly talented writer and is the co-host of the addicting pop culture podcast, Like a Virgin. I've been following Rose on Twitter for what feels like years, I think, and I've always been a huge fan of her wit and sense of humor. So getting on this podcast was like such an honor. After Rose and I gab about Ewan McGregor, Wanda Maximoff, and Like a Virgin, Rose tells us about her two coming outs. First as gay at 14 years old, and then as trans years later as an adult. She talks about how moving to NYC and becoming involved in an underground art scene opened her mind to the different possibilities of queer life, as she was finally exposed to a diverse queer scene that was not solely cisgendered gay men. That expanded queer community she found, coupled with an increase in trans public figures in the past decade or so, helped Rose in exploring and challenging her true feelings about her gender identity, ultimately confirming what she had known ever since she was a child. I learned so much from Rose's story, and I know you're going to learn a lot from this episode too, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Rose Damu. It is so good to finally meet you. Like I just told you right before we hit recording... I've been following you on Twitter, what feels like for years now. And oh God, you you might be entitled to financial compensation for that. <laughs> no, but not for me. From someone, maybe from Twitter. <laughs> maybe from Twitter. Ask Elon. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what he has to say. Rose, I want to let you know that I am a proud, proud virgin. And no, I'm not talking about my closeted years. I am talking about your amazing podcast, Like a Virgin. I've like started binging it and I've been falling in love with it. And I just think you're doing such a great job on it. I'm so excited to, to have you and to chat about that. Thank you so much. I love meeting new virgins. <laughs> and yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, I, I host a podcast called Like a Virgin with Fran Torado, in which we introduce each other to sort of like formative, nostalgic pieces of pop culture. You can listen to it anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're actually doing, we just dropped the first one today. We're doing Pride bonus episodes all month. So that's something to look out for. Yeah, I saw that today, actually. And what I love about your podcast is I think the lot the, your the tagline is giving yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I mean, I feel like if you're like a millennial, it is the stuff you talk about is just stuff that takes you back. Like last night, I was listening to the Sydney Washington episode. You're talking about like Paris Hilton and all and like the simple life and all of that. And so it's just like it takes you back. And actually, yeah, the show really there should be a trigger warning for every episode. Of just <laughs> like this might be a lot if, if you are a millennial. Yeah. And, honestly, and. One thing, or I was thinking about this, to, uh, I think it was, what episode was this? Actually, no, it was this morning. I was listening to the... <laughs> I'm never going to be able to say Dora the Explorer again without overthinking how to pronounce it. Pronunciate <laughs> the Dora the Explorer. Dora yeah, the, it really doesn't make sense. It, like it doesn't. Rhyme. It makes, like after listening to that, I was like, wait, why do we say it like that? But anyways, so I was listening to that episode because it's Multiverse of Madness and I am a huge Marvel stan. And so obviously I was like, I have to listen to this one. And I was and I was thinking about this. Also, the same thing goes for the episode of J.P. Brammer when you guys were talking about Pokemon. Because yes, I am indeed a Pokemon gay. And the way I've, I've been like feeling when I listen to it is, you know, that meme where it's like that kid sitting next to like a poster for, of like three women laughing, eating their ice cream. And it's like, this is what <laughs> listening to a podcast feels like. That is how it felt because all I I think I've realized all I actually want to do is have a podcast where I get to talk about like Marvel and Pokemon. And so <laughs> I was just listening to these episodes, like chiming in when no one's actually listening to me and was having a hell of a time. Yeah, it's I, th- I found that it's so fun to have these like really kind of in-depth discussions about pop culture because I don't know, I think all of us have these things that we have kind of like created ourselves out of, or I do think we live in an age where, you know, media becomes kind of this like flag or stand in for who we are. And so I think to get to discuss that with people is so exciting. Cause I think like the reason we started the podcast was out of this idea of like, when you love something so much, you just want to make sure that everyone in your life knows about it or like has experienced it. That feeling of when you mention a movie to your friend, they're like, oh, I've never seen it. And you are like, you've never seen that. We have to watch it immediately. And then you get to talk about it and just like maybe think think too much about it, read too much into things. But yeah. I don't know, that can be fun. I feel you on that. And for me, I want to chat more with you about this, but I think what really took my obsession, like at this point, I feel like it's like almost borderline addiction is like to Marvel stuff is it was actually WandaVision. I know you're a big WandaVision fan and it was, yeah, it was like that two months when WandaVision was coming out week to week and YouTube had like, I would watch these YouTube videos breaking down all of like the symbolism and all the predictions and the Easter eggs that truly hooked me. And now for like every Marvel thing in the entire world and even like some non Marvel, like there's some Netflix shows that I I now watch these videos for. I like can't watch anything now without watching a YouTube video after having it explained to me basically. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I feel the same way. Like I'm not super into reviews of things, but I really like that we have reached this age of like recap culture and context around the media we consume. I feel the same way. Like last night I watched the first couple episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the first thing I did after I finished them was go on TikTok and like watch people who were talking about them and breaking down like the Easter eggs. Yeah. 
I think it's so fun to learn more about the things that you like. And that was really exciting about WandaVision was the way it was rolled out just because we're in the era of streaming and like we've lived so long with, you know, whole seasons of shows being dropped all at once that to get to experience every something drawn out like that and to get to spend a whole week between episodes like theorizing and like, you know, looking for clues was so exciting and also felt that everyone was watching it together. And I don't know, Fran and I argued about this on the podcast, but I do think it's like the closest we've come to, you know, monoculture and something that everyone's experiencing since the days of, you know, serialized TV and like big network TV. It felt very much like how I felt watching, you know, Buffy every week and having to wait all week for a new episode and like go on Angel Fire websites and like live journal <laughs> and and like speculate about what was going to happen next. Yes. It's really exciting when consuming media becomes something that you're not just doing by yourself and that you get to do with other people. And I think Obi- you just mentioned Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think that's a great example of this because there's so much Star Wars content out there that is like a little bit less mainstream at the mm-hmm. moment. And by that, I mean, it's like not on Disney Plus or it just was added to Disney Plus after, you know, or it's like available now, like the, all the animated series. Like I had, a, I had a thought last week after watching some Obi-Wan Easter egg videos, like, should I like go back and watch the Clone Wars animated series? And I, I looked at the like, same thing. Because over- <laughs> it also watching Obi-Wan Kenobi reminded me like a that I was obsessed with Ewan McGregor when I was a teenager, and B, he's still so he's cute, so gorgeous. I also revisited the film Down with Love this weekend, and I just was like remembering how post Moulin Rouge I was so obsessed with him. But it, I also remembered like I'm very much a casual Star Wars fan, but. When a Star Wars thing comes out that does pique my interest, it's kind of similar to Marvel. Like, I don't go nuts for every Marvel thing, but when one of them hits, it really hits, and I become drawn into the obsession again. And that's very much how I'm feeling with Obi-Wan Kenobi, because, you know... Being, being a millennial, like I am a child of the prequel trilogy and, you know, Ewan and Hayden, I just like, I do ride for them a little bit. Yeah, I feel you. I, I in the prequels, obviously, like they don't get as much love as a lot of the other Star Wars properties. But I mean, I agree. Like that's what I, re- I remember going and seeing those in theaters. So like I, they have a special place in my heart. Yeah, Even, I've never watched I the mean, Clone Wars. Should I watch it? I'm not a big, I'm not a big animated person, but yeah, I typically do like animated stuff. And I got overwhelmed because there's like over, I think there's like 130 episodes of it, which just that's a lot. <laughs> feels so much. So what I did is I ended up watching, I did watch, I think two of them, like the two of the last episodes of the series because it tied in. I love like order 66 and like the day where, you know, the Jedi, they show all the Jedis. I don't like that. They all died, but most of them died. But I just love like those scenes, like from the movies too. Like I love those scenes. Yeah. Where they kill all the kids. (laughs) No, (laughs) well, I I think some of them, I think we're going to learn that some of them survived. So (laughs) like Rogu did. So yeah, I feel you on that. And so I guess like for Marvel, what it seems like WandaVision is one of those things. Are there any other Marvel shows or movies that like struck a chord with you that that you're writing for right now? Yeah, I do surprisingly really like Captain America, which is 
Well, you know, really. All, yeah. I mean, listen, all Marvel is war propaganda, <laughs> is like military propaganda, yeah. and Captain America is Iron Man. Captain America is the most obvious of all of it. But I think that's because I think the reason I like it is because Captain America seems to me they are the gayest movies. You know, like Winter Soldier <laughs> is oh. just like about, you know, exes. Yeah. <laughs> I oh my god! I want to ship Bucky and Ka- and Steve Rogers. I ship. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely, two. yeah. Like the fanfic there has got to be. So my friends have sent me some like animated like fanfic cartoons of them. There and- is a lot. It is it is on Ao3, which is like I don't know how deep you are into fan culture, but Ao3 is like the the predominant fan fiction website. I think they're like the 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 third you know, most written ship of all time. And I certainly have, you know, dipped a toe into those waters. Yeah. (laughs) Other Marvel stuff. I mean, I like the things that are a little more on the, um, besides Captain America, I do like the more kind of mystical side of things. So Mm. I did like, I, I do like all the Thor movies. I watched Loki, which I ended up really liking. I watched the first couple episodes right when it came out and then just kind of lost interest and picked it back up and I don't know maybe a couple months ago and finished it and I liked it and I obviously see how it led to where we are with all of the multiverse stuff. I also had never watched Doctor Strange until earlier this year because I just was never I wasn't really interested in it when it came out and then obviously I knew, you know, we were getting the next one and so I watched the first one and like it's it's pretty good, you know, besides the Tilda Swinton of it all. <laughs> but, you know, the the stuff that I'm not as interested in is like Ant-Man. I like to pretend it doesn't exist. You do without. Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy doesn't really do it for me. I watched the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and was like, pass. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you in that I like to say I like my magic and my cosmics. And so mm-hmm. I like anyone, whenever there's like a, a hand contortion light, pushing moment yes. like that is that is my jam to a T and then anything like in space I love too. I, I just like I like Guardians of the Galaxy I like it because it's just like so different and more like I don't know it feels more comic-y and I was listening to your episode with Phil Kim Booster he said it in a way that I, I was like yes that is how I feel about this too he actually prefers DC over Marvel because he doesn't have like a big draw towards like the street level crime or like the more like grounded superheroes like people with like super strength is the most boring thing in the world to me i want somebody who is doing like hand motions pushing out light beams and yeah doing all that i stuff. feel similarly but i also have really responded to things like i really liked jessica jones i watched all of that although you know like there's so much conversation about the netflix marvel shows and their quality i liked daredevil i guess i haven't watched much DC stuff. Although like, I mean, Batman is like the biggest DC thing. And like, he is a street level hero. He doesn't have any superpowers. I did really like the Batman though. Yeah. It was probably one of my favorite Batman movies for sure. That was a good one. But yeah, I mean, I'm really in it for the girls and the gays. The girls Um, and the gays. You know, I I liked Black (laughs) Widow, although I think it could have been better and probably would have been better if if they had made the movie like around the same time when they were giving them all solo movies. Yeah. One of the things in the Dora the Explorer episode, (laughs) I still can't say that, Dora the Explorer episode that I just thought was so funny was, first off, it was like, I think it was Fran who said, all the gays in the movie theater were like, when Wanda was like going and 
exploding people's heads and killing everybody. Everyone was just like, yes, queen slay. Yeah, and I was totally. like, that's literally, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I said that out loud in the theater by myself because it was so, so true. And then the tie back, it was like an expert tie back to that Christina Aguilera tweet about Wanda is she came her, on this her, her life's in shit. <laughs> her life's in shambles. Yeah. She's fat, nasty, fat, broke. Nasty and broke. She came on. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. And also, I'm so curious because about your podcast, like you and Fran have such a good chemistry and it's like so fun to just hear you two like shoot the shit. I'm so curious, like how did, how did, A, how did the podcast like, or how did you guys meet? I'm so curious. And then, you know, how did you guys come up with the idea and like what was the impetus to, to kick it off? So Fran and I met when we were both working at Out Magazine and we worked together for maybe a year and a half. And then Fran, when Fran left to go to Netflix, I told them, okay, we can actually be friends now that we don't work together anymore. Um, And then we ended up working together at Netflix and we both moved to LA. They moved a little bit before the pandemic and then I moved mid-pandemic. And so we spent a lot of time in the pandemic together just hanging out at Fran's apartment, like watching movies. And there were so many times when I would mention, you know, as I was saying before, I would like mention a TV show or a book or like some kind of, you know, cultural phenomenon that to me was extremely formative. And because Fran grew up very differently than I did with much kind of stricter guidelines around what kind of media they could consume. I would mention these things and they would have no idea what I was talking about. And so I would kind of like force them to, you know, like go to a drive-in screening of Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion with me because, you know, she'd never seen it. And that to us seemed like a really kind of honest and interesting format for a podcast. Like, again, based out of that feeling, when you have a thing that you really love and a person that you really love, you kind of want them to combine. And that's what Like a Virgin was born out of, you know, that like pressing desire to explain to and explain and like force feed each other these pieces of, of media and pop culture that were so foundational for us. I love that. And also, I think Like a Virgin has some of the best artwork, podcast art cover art that I've seen. It, it's so good. That it's was so, awesome. so fun to shoot. We, um, When we were, like a month before we launched, we went to New York and did, recorded a bunch of episodes with guests, like our first kind of like big batch of episodes, which was when we recorded with Bowen Yang, um, Ira Madison III, Peyton Dix, Evan Ross Katz, J.P. Brammer. And then that weekend, we also did the shoot for our artwork, which was photographed by our friend Justin. We had like amazing hair and makeup people. And like we had kind of mood boarded the shoot. And it was like, it was a really exhausting day because I had come in from LA. We like had two days to do all this. We were like, recording, you know, two or three episodes a day and doing that shoot. But it was really fun. And it is very, you know, like stunty artwork. Yeah, it's great. And I'm curious, like, you've only been doing the podcast for a few months now, right? So what's the experience been like for you? Because I I just started this one in back in October. So 
still still pretty new as well. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Oh yeah, like we're like around the same time. Yeah, because ours launched in November. It's been really amazing, actually. Like I really like podcasting. It's it's you know like it does feel kind of natural. Um, especially I think the format for our podcast just makes it so. Not that it's not a lot of work, but it makes it easy to do because it it is a dynamic that already existed in Fran and I's friendship, which I think is the only way we could have done this if it was something that was sustainable like that. And also like we have, because Fran and I are extremely close friends on top of working together, we have put a lot of work into making sure that we have a relationship outside of our working relationship too. And we've had to be really intentional about that. And it's like only brought us closer as friends. And that's really great. And also, you know, the people who listen to it are like really passionate about it. We created a burner Instagram account recently, like a virgin for 2069. Everyone should go follow it. And it's given people a way to kind of get in touch with us more directly than our call in line. And it's really great just seeing messages from people. And it's a fun thing that Fran, our producer Phoebe, and I get to do together, which is just like, you know, shit post memes. Yeah, it's hilarious. I'm a follower, of course. And you got the images, the stuff you guys find is like, it blows my mind. Like, it's so funny. Yeah, because so, so much of the, like, Fran, Phoebe, and I were just in our group chat, just were constantly sending each other memes. And then we're like, oh, maybe we should have a place where we could put all this. You had like a you had like a carousel of like a bunch of Lord of the Rings. I think it was for the R R was it R Narnia? Oh yeah, maybe? R Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So stupid. I like it's so no, but this is this is the shit that resonates. Like I literally just like giggle to myself looking at my phone all the time just seeing all this stuff. So it's awesome to hear. I similarly loved podcasting and it's not something that comes natural to me in the least. Like I am not I have never been like a, a interviewer, a host coming up with questions like public speaking makes me nervous. So like, I feel like I've like grown a lot in that sense too. And so it's been really fun the last, you know, since October to, to kind of see the projection to or the trajectory of it too. like see, listen to the first couple episodes and then see where they're at now. It's, you know, it's, it's fun to watch that. It also is humbling sometimes when I listen to, you know, our, like the first cut that our producer sends us of the episodes. Um, and I realize, like, oh my God, you sound so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> what, that, what was that point you were trying to make? How many times can you say, like, um, or like, it's just, you oh, know, yeah. it is, it is rough sometimes to have to listen to the unedited version of yourself, but that's why editing is amazing and producers yeah. are incredible. I'm so envious. I'm doing everything right now. And the editing is what the is like the big time suck. It's the rough. energy drainer. It's a little rough. It's rough. Heavy lift. I'll try to keep it tight no. today. So no, to no, 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 no. I will gladly do it. But yeah, as a doing everything, it's uh you know, it could be a lot. Let's dive into our first segment, which is Rainbow Flags. And so this is a new segment that actually has not even aired yet at the time of this recording, but we're rolling with it. And it's essentially rainbow flags for some listeners might know this already, but in case they don't, rainbow flags are an endearing term that I came up with during my coming out process for all of the signs that maybe should have known that I was queer before I came out to myself as gay at 28. And so I love to chat about them with guests because they come up almost every episode just naturally anyway. So we decided to make a little segment out of it. So Rose, are there any signs when you look back that maybe you should have known you were queer before you came out? 
Yeah. I, well, I mean, the first off, which time? I think I have a, a somewhat not not unique queer experience because so many trans women have this experience, but I did come out twice. You know, I came out when I was a teenager as gay and then as an adult as trans. So I guess if I'm thinking about trans pride flags I should have seen when I was a kid, yeah. Something like always when I was playing with friends, wanting to playing a game, always wanting to be the girl character, always really gravitating towards media that centered women. I think it's very much kind of the like trope of wanting to play the female character in a video game. Yes. But like in every aspect of my life. Yeah, that was, that was, you know, a big. For sure. Are there any, are there any, I was the exact same way. Like, Especially in superhero women. I mean, still today, like all, back to Marvel, like all of the the girlies in Marvel are my my favorite characters. But it was like Kimberly, the Pink Power Ranger back then, and Trini too, the Yellow yes. Yellow Power Ranger. Totally. Like all any sort of like the fighting games, video games. I'd always pick the pick yeah. The girls. I think I th- yeah Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was also there was a period when I was I think there was some kind of wrestling video game where you got to you know, make the avatars of who you were playing. Or maybe it was like, I don't know, it was like some kind of video game. I was never really a video game person. And I guess this really should have been a flag because I would do the part of the game where you got to build your character and spend a lot of time creating the person and then not actually play the game. I was only interested <laughs> in making the avatar. So that that's pretty telling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And actually, I just remembered, I meant to tell you this, on the topic of rainbow flags, this came to me a while, like when I first started coming out before my podcast. And so I wrote like, I wrote a little bit about my rainbow flags in two medium posts. And one of them for me was that I would like secretly watch America's Next Top Model and binge it in my basement when I was a teenager in high school. And I used some... And throughout this article, I used like images and tweets that I thought like were really funny and kind of represented that. And I used one of your tweets in it, in the article. And it was it's still one of my favorite tweets. It was that image i don't remember her name but of from america's next top model when she has like the helmet on and that like deep red lipstick <laughs> Joanna from season 2 one I, I truly like one of the best images ever created by america's next top model well the two that i remember are that one and the one where she had like the spider on her hand like the tarantula mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Eve. Eve, yes. And your and your tweet was this image unlocks something ancient and powerful in girls slash gays. And I was like, that spot, it, spot it on. Absolutely did. It really did. And it resonated with me. So that was in my my Rainbow Flags article. So Rose, I guess if we transition into your coming out story. So well, I guess, I mean, like you mentioned before, there were two of them. And so uh, could you walk yeah. us through maybe like what what that was like for you? Yeah. You know, when I was a teenager, I came out pretty young for, I think, the time. I came out as gay when I was 14 to pretty much like everyone in my life and was definitely had the experience of being the gay kid in high school. Even though I I went to an art school and was in a theater program, and so you would think that there were a lot of out gay people, but there weren't. And I was one of the, I don't know, three out gay people in my grade all through high school. And that was 
I think when you are that young and um, especially the way we were socialized in the early 2000s, like there was, I don't know, I kind of uh, felt that there was a, a role I had to fulfill in terms of like what that meant being being a queer person at that time. And so I definitely did fill that role. And then I think that calmed down a lot when I moved to New York when I was 18 and kind of discovered that there were a lot of different ways to be queer. I do think that a big part of my, God, I hate using the word journey, but a big part of my journey was that when I was in college and for a couple of years afterwards, I was really the only queer person in my group of friends, or not the only, but like almost the only one. And I predominantly hung out with straight people. And then one of my best friends from high school moved to New York after college and had come out during college. And he and I started to, and he and I both had, you know, similar experiences where we were, we were the only queer people in predominantly straight groups of friends. And so we started to really explore queerness together and try to find a queer social scene and that's how we started really becoming involved in the underground queer art scene that was happening at that time in Brooklyn and going out a lot, going to a lot of raves and queer art parties. We eventually started um, our, an art collective and started throwing our own events. And that is really how, like for the first time, I ever really felt in community with queer people. And for the first time, queer people who weren't just cis gay men. And this was also kind of at the peak of this was really at the advent of trans visibility. And I mean, as like awful as it it is to say, like Caitlyn Jenner coming out was such a tipping point. And like, I hate to give her that credit, but I think for so many people, that was the first time that most of us had someone in our lives we could point to and say to explain to other people what we were feeling yeah. in a way. And I don't want to give all the credit to Caitlyn Jenner, obviously, because <laughs> she's a horrible person. But people like her and Laverne Cox at that time, it meant that, you know, you could, when you were talking to your family, like as I experienced when I, you know, told my family that I was transitioning, they had a frame of reference for what I was talking about. They wouldn't have had even a couple years before that. So yeah. I'm not saying Caitlyn Jenner made me trans, but what I am <laughs> saying is that ex- pe- like the increase in trans public figures at that time allowed myself and other trans people to, for for you know, the the straight people in our lives and particularly our families, my family, help them understand like what it was we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like my specific experience with coming out as trans, I knew for, you know, the whole time that I was like really involved in this kind of underground queer party scene, I spent a lot of time playing with gender in how I presented. You know, I was a club kid And it was really fun to just like lean into being super femme. And I started to realize that was a type of presentation that just felt truer to me. I think the year before I started transitioning, I wanted to figure out how... I I guess I, I wanted to know if 
masculinity was something that I really connected with or something that just, that just felt safe to me. Yeah. And so in my gender expression, I really started to like lean really hard on both things, like presenting really mask, presenting really femme, and just trying to figure out where I fit there. Yeah. And for a while, I felt like I didn't fit in either of them or that I fit in both of them. And so there was a period where I did identify as somewhere like a little bit more in the middle. And then, you know, I had a very kind of not come to Jesus because I'm Jewish, but um, <laughs> revelatory couple of, of moments where I just kind of admitted to myself that masculinity felt like um, a safer container to exist in in the world. But that wasn't a good enough reason to not present as a woman because like... I was one. And I think making that kind of admission, I guess, at least for me, once I've admitted something like that to myself, there's no going back. Yeah. Um. So once I admitted like, oh, this is actually just like a role I've been playing my whole life, there was no going back from that. I'm really interested to learn a little bit more. So like you came out as four or came out at 14 as gay and then came out as trans. So when you came out as gay, was there a certain period or a certain time where you felt like maybe that wasn't the right thing for you or like there was something else as well? Was there a moment like that for you when you came out as gay and then it shifted towards, you know, you exploring your gender identity or how did that process go for you? It's more that coming out as gay in 2002 was the closest I could get to what I really felt the deal was. One of the most affirming things for me about coming out to my family as trans was that so many of them said, oh, when you were a kid, you always used to say you were a girl. And so that's clearly something I felt my entire life and something I have known was true my entire life. But... You know, the world teaches you that that's not a possibility, um, especially this was in what, you know, like the early 90s that I was telling my family, like, I'm a girl, and they didn't know what to do with that. And so you get taught that that's not acceptable. And so, you know, when I was a teenager, I guess, like, feeling like there was a really feminine part of me and being attracted to men, like you figure out, oh, okay, so then I must be gay. Like that's the answer. You work in the framework that you're given with the context clues you have. So yeah, that was, you know, the closest I got. And then when I was an adult and I started realizing, oh, there's actually something else that all of this could mean. You know, that's when I was able to say, oh, I think I was maybe right the first time when I was a kid. At that time, there was a cultural conversation around transness happening that had just, in my lifetime, never happened before. And it was, it meant that, of course, I, even before that time, knew trans people. When I was a kid, I obviously understood that there was some trans people or people who experience gender in a non like cis normative way existed but it's a big leap from knowing that something exists to understanding that you can that it's possible for you that you can have it it was a huge leap for me from oh i know trans people to oh i could transition and also this was around the time when gender-affirming medical care uh, became much more accessible, particularly in New York, which is where I lived at the time. 
And I realized, oh, this is something that is actually within my grasp. It's not, you know, totally out of reach. Yeah. What was that moment like for you when you, when it became like, went from being in it like this, I don't know, I guess idea to like an actual realistic possibility for you, like you just mentioned? It's a lot. I, sure. The first year of my transition was in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to get too vulnerable on Maine here. Um, <laughs> one of, one of the hardest years of my life, just the, the amount of change um, that's happening physically, emotionally, mentally is really a lot. Mm-hmm. But the, I guess the ease of accessing gender affirming care at that time was like a revelation to me. You know, I went to Cal and Lord, which is a queer healthcare center in New York city and had my first appointment with a doctor and was told that I could start hormone replacement therapy in a month. And I, it just like all became real. And obviously like, that's not to say that medically transitioning is the only way to transition. And like, I could have not done that and still been a woman, still been trans. um, And many people do, but for me, it just made it so much more real. And it's just really fucking cool that, you can take these pills and potions, as Nicki Minaj said, and transform yourself. Like, I felt like a, a cyborg, and it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> a cyborg. From a coming out perspective, just for, I'm thinking of from the perspective of listeners who might be going through some of those experiences right now or thinking about it and contemplating, if wondering if it is possible for them. I'm curious from the coming out perspective. So you had these two coming out. Was there a sense of like, hey, I've done something like this before and like you kind of a little bit more confident or was it a little bit harder because it was such a different scenario? Yeah, I mean, it's really apples and oranges Yeah, because coming out as gay, it's really, you know, a social change more than anything else, at least in the way that other people interact with it. Yeah, Coming out as trans, if you do it in, in the way that I did it, it just was so much more because it wasn't just about telling people something true about me. It was medically transitioning. It was changing my name, changing the way that I showed up in the world. And it's really different. Yeah. But also, I guess because I, I came out as gay so young, it was, well, I mean, if you medically transition, like it is like going through puberty. So uh, that was one thing that was similar about them is like they both kind of happened around the time that I was going through puberty. It's just, you know, I went through a second one the second time. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I w- I'm curious if you had for again, for those listeners who are thinking and like, you know, maybe haven't acted yet or just still in that like contemplating phase and trying to understand, you know, understand themselves and their gender identity. Do you have any sort of advice or like maybe some things you wish you would have done? Just anything to like maybe help somebody who's who's kind of contemplating it right now? I think, what am I not going to get in trouble for saying? <laughs> it is when I was really early in my transition, um, some of the most affirming experiences and conversations I had and and the people who really made me feel super secure and seen in my womanhood um, were other trans women. And I think some of us, some trans women kind of lean really hard on the acceptance of cis women into womanhood. And that's like where a lot of this, you know, like 
larger cultural conversation like centers around. But find people, I think, who have similar experiences and like talk to them and, you know, get their POV, but also understand that no two queer experiences are the same. And people carry a lot of even right now with me talking to you, people carry a lot of baggage around their identities and the ways in which they come out. And oftentimes we graft that onto each other. So just know that it's not going to happen for you the way that it happened for someone else. And I think especially a lot of trans people, and I found this, you know, that my experiences as a trans woman in community with each other, trans women, we do tend to measure ourselves against each other. And I think it's really similar to all queer people we do that and wonder like why don't I have what this person has why don't I have like the life or the body or you know whatever that this other person has and just know that's not it's just never going to be one-to-one and just like take your time do it in a way that is feels right for you do it in a way that is safe for you and um also like you don't have to say everything you feel about your identity online because it because you will move on from feeling a very specific way eventually and it is really bad to have a paper trail of like (laughs) everything you've ever thought about your gender online that that is great advice especially about like comparison of it all like when especially online right now, it's so easy to get into that mindset where you're seeing other queer people who are going through similar identities as yourself and you're just comparing yourself. And it's like, that is a, can be a very dark, dark place when you, when you do that. So I, I know it's, it's hard. Extremely dark. It, it kind of is old. It can only be dark. That's actually probably the most accurate way to describe it is it can only be dark, but it's, it's hard. It's hard not to sometimes, but um, those are the times when I'm like, okay, I'm deleting Twitter from my phone, <laughs> and then taking Which a little. Is always a, it's a good thing to do. It's, That's self care. We love a social media cleanse. That is absolutely self care. That is self care. Uh, well, Rose, thank you so much. I want to be mindful of your time. I know we're, we're running down on our time right now. I just want to say thank you so, so much for being on. It's been really, really great to get to meet you and to talk about our podcast journey and to talk some Marvel and to learn more about you and your story too. There are some listeners who your story resonated with or they just want to like follow you on Twitter because I've been talking about how great you are, how funny you are on Twitter. Um, what <laughs> You're like, damn it, shut up. Um, what is the best way for them to to find you. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And TikTok, yes. And TikTok, yeah. I forget you're a TikTok girly sometimes. I've been much more active there recently. Yeah, sometimes. You can follow me at Rose Domu. Listen to my podcast, Like a Virgin, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, leave reviews, ratings, um, and follow our burner account at Like a Virgin for 2069. The burner account is truly great. So I highly recommend people check that out. And I fully vouch everyone listening should go become a virgin and go check out Like a Virgin because it's it's truly, truly hilarious. So Rose, thanks so much. And I will catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me. Happy Pride. Um, gay rights. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If this week's episode resonated with you, please take a second to subscribe and leave a review. You can find Reaching Out with Michael Constable on Instagram and Twitter at Reaching Out Pod, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Wings It. Bye bye, see you.